Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. So I want to just keep this series going so we can watch that bumper the rest of the year. Like, it's just so cool, isn't it? Um, so this morning, we come to a, a final, and we come to a first. So today is the final installment of the 2019 edition of God at the Box Office. And everybody said, all right? We're all feeling it, right? But today is also a first for us here at Grace Crossing Church. Never in the history of this series have we ever done a Marvel movie. Like, I even went back and checked just to make sure that was true, that was the case, and it is. And I could not believe that we've never done a Marvel movie as part of God at the Box Office. I was surprised for two reasons. Number one, that since 2008, there have been 21 Marvel movies released. 21. Okay, has anyone here seen all 21? Can I see your hand? Some of you need to get jobs, okay? You need to get a career, all right? Well, here's a second reason I was surprised that I've never done a Marvel movie be- is because when I was a kid growing up, I was a big Marvel fan. And I was a Marvel fan um, long before there were big box office hits like this movie. So growing up as a Marvel fan, I loved the Hulk. Um, In fact, I wanted to be the Hulk. I think I identified with his temper. I grew up in an angry family, an angry Italian family, where physical violence and resorting to that was not uncommon in our home. Punching walls, hitting each other. I mean, anger was part of my family of origin, something that I had to bring God into uh, as I grew in him. And I think growing up in that kind of family, I think I identified with the Hulk and there was a desire for me to be able to contain that kind of power and have that kind of power once I became overwhelmed with anger. And and so I would get together with my friends growing up and we would all play different characters of the superheroes and of the Marvel characters and I always wanted to be the Hulk. And one day in the summer, we were all bored and we were all playing our characters and I came up with a brilliant idea that all of my friends thought was epic. And how many of you know if your friends think something's cool, then it's cool, right? So it's got to be cool. So I decided to paint my face green, tear my shirt, roll up my pant legs, and pretend that I was the Hulk. And I took it to another level. So I grew up right near our railroad tracks where there was a hill in the railroad tracks that came right over to my house. And so I had my buddies telling me when the cars were coming, and I actually jumped out in front of oncoming traffic and fake being the Incredible Hawk. I would go out just like him, and I'd go, as these cars would come. I felt like a superhero. Kids, don't try this at home, okay? This is not worth trying. This morning, we're not going to talk about the Hulk. We're going to talk about another Marvel character. Uh, that actually is not just a box office hit in 2018, but it's one of the biggest box office hits of all time. 
Black Panther is the ninth highest grossing movie in history. I mean, it just made a powerful impact on the big screen, and for, and for good reason. But, but though it's Black Panther is a relatively new Marvel character to many people, he is not a new Marvel character. He was actually first introduced in July of 1966, less than a year after I was born. He appeared in a Marvel comic book with the Fantastic Four. And, um, and I remember growing up and seeing all the Marvel characters and thinking about that. And I want you to think about what was happening in 1966. The Black Panther is introduced at a time in our history where there was incredible heightened racial tension going on. It was the height of the civil rights movement. And African Americans were trying to find an equal footing with the rest of the population, especially the white population. They were wanting to be seen. They were longing to be heard. The Black Panther, can you imagine a superhero that looked like African Americans who had felt repressed, overlooked, marginalized? And so they're finally, in many ways, for the very first time in our country, really getting their voices heard. They're beginning to feel empowered because of people like Martin Luther King, who are actually becoming a spokesperson for the African-American community. And before we get to this movie, there is a, there's a clip briefly I want you to see from the daughter of Martin Luther King. And she talks about what it was like growing up in his home, in that family, and the things that she experienced as a young girl in that home. I want you to just take a look at this brief clip by Bernice King. I grew up in a household where serving others was not only spoken about, but it was lived out. The scripture that was shared mostly in our household is, um, he who would be greatest among you shall be the servant of you all. My mother invoked that quite often as an example of who my father was. It was always about thinking outside of yourself. We say it, you know, in the vernacular, people rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. We have to be the word. And my mother literally was the word for me um, on a day-to-day -day basis, and especially in the area of service and forgiveness. She was able to transcend the pain and still extend uh, a hand and a heart to those individuals. And just living with that, it gripped me. And I had to, you know, I had to struggle for years with all of the anger that I had. I started developing hate for white people because I felt like, you know, they killed my father. And, and some of that is because I am still grieving. The first loss, the second loss, the third loss, several other losses. Then in more recent times, my mom and my sister, 16 months apart, is the hardest for me. What does the Lord require of thee? 
but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. So it's, it's appropriate this morning that this particular talk is happening during Black History Month. Now, if recognizing Black History Month uh, seems insignificant to you or you deem it unimportant, you're not an African-American. So if you are here and you are an American of European descent, black history may not seem that important to you. But if, if you are a person who is a person of color of African descent, black history matters. And I'm going to tell you why it matters. It matters because black history is American history. And American history is black history. Those two are inseparable. For us not to acknowledge that, for us to minimize that, is actually to ignore the plight and the pain that African Americans have gone through. Black history is not their story. Black history is my story. And it's your story. And it's all of our stories. Because it is the American story. It is American history. And we've got to acknowledge that. So the Black Panther, in many ways, really brings the history forward and helps contextualize it uh, in a sci-fi way in an alternate world. But I want you to see the history of the Black Panther as we launch this, this talk today on the Black Panther. Take a look. Millions of years ago, a meteorite made of vibranium, the strongest substance in the universe, struck the continent of Africa, affecting the plant life around it. And when the time of men came, five tribes settled on it and called it Wakanda. The tribes lived in constant war with each other until a warrior shaman received a vision from the panther goddess Bust, who led him to the heart-shaped herb, a plant that granted him superhuman strength, speed, and instincts. The warrior became king and the first black panther, the protector of Wakanda. Four tribes agreed to live under the king's rule, but the Jabari tribe isolated themselves in the mountains. The Wakandans used vibranium to develop technology more advanced than any other nation. But as Wakanda thrived, the world around it descended further into chaos. To keep vibranium safe, the Wakandans vowed to hide in plain sight, keeping the truth of their power from the outside world. And we still hide, Baba? Yes. Why? So the Black Panther, you can't watch it without feeling emotionally stirred by some of the re very real experiences that African Americans have faced. Slavery, and oppression, racial inequality, systemic poverty, 
and even money and power on the geopolitical stage. All of those things and so much more come forward in this movie. Now, some of the things I really appreciate about Black Panther and really have appreciated watching it even again recently is that it does not just focus on, as many African-American movies have focused on, it doesn't just focus on black suffering. It also focuses, more importantly, on black accomplishment and black achievement. It actually highlights the advances, the strengths, the abilities, and the power of the African-American community. Now, it is the only movie that I'm familiar with that was a mega-budget, mega-box office movie that actually put it not only as its main character, but predominantly, as most of the characters, they were predominantly black. Even the director was African-American. Now, that's significant. It was significant for Hollywood, and it's significant for our culture and for our world. The second thing is that I, I appreciate it is Black Panther did not ignore the real-life issues and real-life conflicts that Africans Amer Americans have experienced. In fact, it really leans into it in many ways. It brings things forward, even some of the injustices and inequalities that exist. You know, I recently actually just saw this, that according to the Federal Reserve, in 2016, the average typical African-American household's net worth was $17,600 compared to an identical white person's net worth of $171,000. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of things we can point to as to why. But we have to begin that conversation by acknowledging that we do not start from the same point. In other words, our starting point is not the same here in this life. And we've got to, and until we do that, until we are intellectually honest and emotionally humble, it's, it, we just simply can't have that conversation the way that God would desire us to have it. So I think it's interesting that the Black Panther does something that's unique. It, it actually twists the idea. In other words, it doesn't avoid racism. It doesn't avoid some of the inequalities and injustices, but what it does is it flips the table. All of a sudden, the power and the strength and the wealth are in the hands of African Americans. They now have the ability to actually get the advantages, to get the upper hand, to receive things even in their own favor, if they so choose. So if I were titling today's message, I think what I would title it is The Gospel According to Wakanda. Wakanda is, in this movie, an African-American country, an African country that actually um, is known to the outside world as a third world impoverished country. They are seen as an agrarian society. And yet once you get into Wakanda, beyond the facade, what you discover is that they are the most technologically advanced country in the world. 
and they have the advantage because of a substance, a metal, a precious metal that is called vibranium. They keep learning more and more about what vibranium can do and its unlimited possibilities. Even King T'Challa of Wakanda learns something new about vibranium. Take a look at the scene. Ah. And what are these? The real question is, what are those? <laughs> Why do you have your toes out in my lap? But you don't like my royal sandals. I wanted to go old school for my first day. Yeah, I bet the elders loved that. <laughs> Try them on. Fully automated. Like the old American movie Baba used to watch. Mm. And I made them completely sound absorbent. Interesting. Guess what I call them? Sneakers. <laughs> because you. Never mind. If you're going to take on Claw, you'll need the best the design group has to offer. Exhibit A. My design. Old tech. Old. Functional, but old. Uh, people are shooting at me. Wait, let me put on my helmet. Enough. <laughs> now, look at this. Do you like that one? Tempting. But the idea is to not be noticed. This one. I'll tell it to go on. Ooh! The entire suit sits within the teeth of the necklace. Strike it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Not that hard, genius. You told me to strike it. You didn't say how hard. I invite you to my lab, and you just kick things around. Well, maybe you should eh? make it a little stronger. Hey, wait a minute. The nanites absorb the kinetic energy and hold it in place for redistribution. Very nice. Strike it again in the same spot. You're recording. For research purposes. Delete that footage. So, you gotta love vibranium, right? It's this unbelievable substance that, that has this ability, this kinetic energy, that actually takes attack against it and absorbs it and metabolizes it so that it becomes stronger, not weaker. So when I think of vibranium, I think of a word that I learned this past year that I had never heard before. It actually comes out of the business world in a book by a man by the name of Nassim Talib, and he writes a book entitled Anti-Fragile. And here's what he says about it. He compares anti-fragile to something that is robust or resilient. There is fragile, there is resilient or robust, and there is anti-fragile. Here's the difference. He suggests that resilient or robust things actually repel or resist attack and remain unchanged. But he said not so with anti-fragile. Anti-fragile things actually absorb and metabolize shock and stress and conflict 
and they actually bring it in, and it makes it stronger, not weaker. Here's the big idea today. What vibranium is to Wakanda, the Holy Spirit is to citizens of God's kingdom. What vibranium is to the citizens of Wakanda, the Holy Spirit is to citizens of God's kingdom. Vibranium is actually that ability to make us stronger, not weaker. There's a scene in this movie that comes a little bit later when the supervillain by the name of Claw is being interrogated. And he's actually revealing what he knows about vibranium that the rest of the world had no idea about because it had been hidden. I missed this in the first time watching it, but man, it jumped out at me the second time I watched it. Here's what he said. He said, Wakandians call vibranium isippo, which means the gift. When you go to Scripture and you look at the Holy Spirit, the most common used phrase for the Holy Spirit is that he is the gift. If we had time this morning, we could look at Scripture after Scripture where the idea of a promise was coming to us, and the idea is that the promise of the Holy Spirit was going to give us an incredible gift. He is the promise gift. He is called the gift of the Father. He's called the gift of Jesus to us. We get the gifts of the Spirit that come with the Holy Spirit. All of that is contained in the person of the Holy Spirit. And just like vibranium is a gift to Wakandans, the Holy Spirit is intended to be a tremendous gift to us. But I would suggest to us today that the Holy Spirit is the most untapped and underutilized resource that we have as followers of Christ. We do not recognize who it is that lives within us. We do not recognize the power that comes with his presence in our life. And so what happens is we walk around hiding it from the rest of the world. Now, I could talk about several gifts today, but there's only two I'm going to touch on. Let me begin with this, uh, this particular passage in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate. He'll never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. And it doesn't recognize him. They weren't looking for vibranium because they had no idea what it was or what it can do. They don't recognize him. But you know him. You know him because he lives with you now. Because I'm here, Jesus said. But notice this. Later, he will be in you. And when he's in you, he's going to fill you with a power that absolutely is, an, is a resource that is so powerful that it doesn't just remain unchanged, it becomes stronger by the attacks of the world. This word advocate, by the way, in the, in the original language is a, is a really powerful word. It, it's a word that is translated and it means to strengthen or to support. Any advocates here today? 
My wife on the gift chart is an advocate. So my wife is one who wants to go and strengthen and support, especially people who are weak. People that have needs. She teaches English as a second language, so she loves being an advocate for her kids. She loves being an advocate for international families. That's the word that is used here. It's sometimes it's translated comforter, sometimes it's translated encourager, other times it's translated counselor. But the reality is, this is a multifaceted gift we've got. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced that gift and I've experienced the multiplicity of ways that the Holy Spirit gifts me when I need it. And there are two gifts that I just want to touch on that are often neglected. That I think are dwelling and living inside of us as followers, followers of Jesus Christ. First of all, let me talk about the gift of supernatural peace. As long as as long as vibranium was untouched, as long as they contained it, they could live a peaceful life and have a peaceful civilization. There's this tremendous thing that Jesus said just a, a few verses later about this. The same chapter, John 14, 26 and 27. When my father sends the advocate, the supporter, the strengthener, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit... He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Now, now I want you to notice this part. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Please do not miss what Jesus said here. The peace that you so desperately long for, you will not find it in this world. This world can only give us the kind of peace that is temporary, it is fabricated, it is artificial, it is completely tethered to circumstances, but that is not the kind of peace that Jesus promised we would have. He said, I'm going to give you a peace that the world knows nothing about, the world can't touch, and you'll never experience it until you're filled with vibranium, until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the moment you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to tap into a power of peace, a supernatural peace that the world does not understand. Now the question is, how do we get this? And how do we express this? How does it play out in our lives? How does he do what he promises here? To give us this gift that the world can't give. Paul actually gives us insight into this in Philippians. Let's read this. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. This is a profound passage. Here's what Paul says. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And that word gentleness, interestingly enough, um, in the Greek language, is translated patient, resistance, or restraint, or self-control. But in the Aramaic language, which is, would have been Jesus' native tongue, and many of their native tongues, it actually means humility. So when life is difficult, when things are hard, when the bullets of the enemy are flying in your direction, when people are doing things that are intended to hurt you or damage you. 
It takes an incredible amount of humility to remain self-restrained and controlled when life is spinning out of control. And then he says this. He says, the Lord is near. Now, he's not saying that because he wants us to know the coming of Christ is at hand. He's saying that because he wants us to know that our orienting reality is not the circumstances of our life. Our character structure as followers of Christ are not tethered to everything being under control. Our character structure transcends circumstances and transcends control. It comes when God is the matrix and he is the one who frames everything about our life. The Lord is near. He is close. He's right here. So every one of us here in some way, we struggle with control. We, we like life in our orbit to be well-controlled, well-ordered, and well-managed. And yet what happens when life starts to feel out of control? Paul actually knew what would happen. Paul says the very next thing, do not be anxious. Anybody here like me that when life starts to feel out of control, your initial response is anxiety? People often ask me, do you get nervous when you speak? The answer is no, but I get anxious. I find myself many times on Saturday and Saturday night having to come back to this passage of Scripture. Because here's what I used to think. I used to think that this passage was all about prayer. It isn't. This passage is all about peace. It is all about what God's peace does and what God's peace can bring us in the middle of life feeling out of control. So what is anxiety? Let me define it this way. Anxiety is a desperate attempt to hold on emotionally to something we feel like we're losing physically. Could be a relationship, a possession. It could be something we feel entitled to. But whenever we feel like we're losing physical control, the emotional reaction of us is often anxiety. But Paul says there's a more radical way. There's, there, there's a better way. And he says, here's the better way. Don't be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I used to think that was different ways of explaining prayer. It isn't. In fact, let me say this. Prayer is not what we often think it is. Prayer is not talking to God. Now, that may be a part of it. It may be a piece of it, but that's not prayer. Prayer is a posture within of an open receptivity and an eager responsiveness to God. Let me say it again. Prayer is a posture of the heart that has an open receptivity and an eager responsiveness to God's presence. And when we get there in our lives, then we're ready to bring our petitions. We're not ready to petition God until then. Why? Because our petitions are all about us. But when, it, when we get there in prayer, all of a sudden it reframes our petitions. 
We no longer pray, Lord, deliver me. We pray, Lord, develop me. Make me like you. Grow me through this. And then he says, do it with thanksgiving. Why thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is that ingredient that actually makes our prayers acceptable to God. Now listen, prayer is not a magic formula that obligates God. It is not manipulating God to do what we want. Prayer is a joyfulness where we let go of control and we trust God more fully. So when we feel like we're losing control, the remedy is not more control. The remedy is more trust. It's more trust in God. And what happens as a result of it? Verse 7 tells us. And the peace of God, which notice this, transcends all understanding will what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard means that he's going to protect it. He's going to preserve it. He's going to be the one that's going to do what we cannot do for ourselves. This supernatural peace is an unmind gift. It is not natural. It is supernatural. And it's also superhuman. It comes from God. One final gift, very quickly, and then we'll close. The second gift of the Holy Spirit that often goes unnoticed and unmined is the gift of supernatural inclusion. Supernatural inclusion. The gospel is called the gospel of peace. The gospel is also referred to as a gospel of inclusion. Hear what I'm about to say. A gospel of exclusion can transform no one. But a gospel of inclusion can transform every person. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us with his own, to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. My kids used to say to me when they were young, uh, I used to be accused of loving one of my kids more than the other kids. You parents ever experienced that with your kids? And I used to say to my kids when they were young, I do not love any one of you any more than the other, but I do love you differently because you're uniquely created. God does not love any of his children any more than another, but we experience his love differently. And here's what this verse, this passage is suggesting. There is an inclusiveness to the gospel that comes by the Holy Spirit. That inclusiveness inclusiveness means this. It means my salvation is not better than your salvation. And your salvation is not better than mine. Our salvation is equal. Because whether we're Jew or non-Jew, whether we are black or white, whether we are rich or poor, he chose to come to all of us and save us the same. It also means that our identity is the same. We are now called with the same identity. He identified the Gentiles just like he identified the Jews as his beloved sons 
and his beloved daughters. It also means that our inheritance is the same. We all get a piece of this inheritance as God's sons and God's daughters. Every person belongs and every person matters when it comes to the gospel. So here's what I want to do in closing. I want to close with a clip. It's actually the, one of the final clips of the movie. In fact, it comes at the end of the movie. I mean after the movie is over. Halfway through the credits. If you stepped out of the theater because you wanted to beat the rush at the bathroom, you missed this scene. And it's a powerful scene. Because it's King T'Challa coming for the first time to stand before the United Nations. And all of a sudden, he who was deemed to be a king of a third world impoverished agrarian society is now making a brand new declaration, not just to the United Nations, but to the world. Take a look. My name is King T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. I love that scene. So much power in his words. I love that closing line. We must move forward as if we are one single tribe. According to the gospel of Christ, we are. We are one single tribe called together in inclusion by the Holy Spirit. We may not look the same. We may not use the same language. We, we may not even have all of the same ideologies, but here's what we do have. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we are all brothers and sisters of one family. That's the way God intended it from the beginning, and it's the way he's moving in the vision of his world back before his coming. Would you stand? Our band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in one final song. As they prepare to do that, let me just close with this, these verses from Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement of being, from being united with Christ, I hope we do. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking out for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you hear how many times Paul's appealing to us for oneness? One mind, one heart, one love, unity in the spirit, unity toward one another. This is the way of the spirit of the living God. We are one in the spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.